In healthcare, there are many transformative leaders. The most remarkable leaders don't just dare greatly to drive improvements, they also care greatly. They bring compassion and humanity to the work of leading transformation. This is their podcast. In today's episode, I talk with Dr. Susan Ehrlich, practicing primary care physician and CEO of Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, part of the San Francisco Department of Public Health. Dr. Ehrlich has focused the system on three core values, joy in our work, compassionate care, and thirst in learning. Her work as a leader builds on the lean management system, which drives transparent operations, deference to expertise, and standard work. But she couples this with care, compassion, and the frontline experience she brings as a practicing physician. Dr. Ehrlich is a leader who cares greatly. Welcome, Susan, and thanks for joining today. Great to have you. Thank you, Liz. It's great to be here. One of the things that I really appreciate about the the work that you're doing is is when I've looked at your core values, it starts with joy in our work, and then it's compassionate care and thirst in learning. And often when I'm working with safety net uh, institutions, there's this sense of of just getting by, of not, you know, of struggling uh, among those lower resources. And there's a tremendous sense of purpose that's in that, but there's also this sense of scarcity. Can you talk about your decision to make joy in work a core value and how you actually live that out at CSFG? Well, joy in our work, joy as a team, is incredibly important because if we're not joyful as providers, as staff, um, as people who come to work every day, we can't really hope to provide an excellent service for patients. So joy in our work is definitely something to which we aspire. And um, one of the things that uh, we've done here over the past few years that I've been the CEO is to really focus on the way that we lead and um, specifically principle-based leadership because I think that is the foundation for a path to ensuring that we really do have joy in our work. Now, that being said, um, is every moment of every day joyful? <laughs> no. Um, but, you know, one of the, one of the big facets of principle-based leadership is that we, we're always striving for improvement. So uh, that's having joy in our work is something that we strive for every day, um, and we've particularly been focused on the way leaders lead in order to make sure that that's true. So what specifically about the way leaders lead are you guys working on? Well, what principle-based leadership really means is um, that I have core beliefs, I and, and our team, we have core beliefs that guide what we do every day. Um, even when we're responding to the tyranny of the urgent, which is often at play here, especially at a trauma center. Um, so some of the, some of the basic tenets um, that we have here are respect for each individual, uh, leading with humility, creating a constancy of purpose, um, and creating value for patients. One of the things that is really special about working here at CSFG is that I think almost universally we're here because we really care about our community and we really care about the patients we serve. So we do really have a constancy of purpose. And so it's really about making sure that 
we take that constancy of purpose and wrap it into these other things, these principles and beliefs, um, in order to lead the organization every day. From your perspective as the the CEO, what does that look like to to lead with respect and lead with humility? Well, the first thing it means is that every day I show up here, I practice those behaviors myself. Um, so I'm very conscious of the way I interact with every single person I come in contact to in the organization, whether that's a chance meeting in the hallway or whether it's um, facilitating a meeting or talking to somebody on the phone. Um, I'm really very conscious that I'm setting an example as a leader in this organization. Um, so I do that and I expect um, the people who report to me to do that and we expect all the people who report to them to do that. Um, so that's a really that's a really important thing. Leading with humility, I think, is such an important quality. Uh, we don't see it demonstrated every day in the world by our leaders, but it's a really important way of uh, deferring to expertise in the organization. Um, it's really important to respect people. And so I'm very curious when I come to work every day. You know, what, what am I going to learn about today that I don't know about? And what's the best way to get that information? Uh, for me, I'm, I make a very standard practice of doing open-ended questioning of people. Um, and through that, try to really understand what goes on here every day and then how we can best advance the goals of the organization. So you've talked about modeling the behaviors for people and having these expectations, does it come up that you need to uh, teach people what this really looks like? How specific do you get? Because ideas like respect and humility are, are both a little bit subjective and a little bit abstract. Um, we how, have we how, very specific with this. Um, and the way we do this is through um, a series of practices uh, throughout the year. So the first thing um, it starts with is a 360 evaluation. Um, so now every year for the past three years, um, I and my executive team have gone through a 360 evaluation looking specifically at these behaviors. We then get the results back. We review them as individuals. We review them as a group. And each one of us creates something called a personal development plan A3. It's basically a roadmap with an analysis of our behaviors, how we're leading, where we're doing well, where we have opportunities, and then what's our plan going to be going forward. And then we take those plans and we turn them into uh, what's, what we call leader standard work, which is basically the, the plan that governs what we do every day, every week, and every month. And then we evaluate that going forward. So it's really an in-depth look at ourselves as leaders um, and the way that we lead. And we try to be as specific and data-driven about that as we are about anything else that we do in the organization. That's a really interesting approach because often those concepts of um, A3s and standard work are applied much more to operations and the what of what gets done as opposed to the how of what gets done. Uh, how does that translate or do, do people feel, do you ever get any, any sort of pushback or sense that um, it's hard to do these more subjective things in this data-driven and, and really operationally focused way? 
Well, it is hard to do them, and it doesn't come naturally to people, and I think at first it's really uncomfortable. But by practicing doing it over and over and over again, you get more comfortable with it. One of the things that we've done at our expanded executive leadership group, which is about 55 of the top leaders in the organization, is that we share those PDPA3s with the group. Um, so we're very transparent about this work as well. And I think that all helps us be better leaders. How would you say that leadership approach has changed things in the organization, whether from a cultural perspective or from an operations perspective or both? Well, um, you know, culture is a thing that changes slowly over time. And I would say in the three years since I've been here, um, we've moved in the direction of being uh, much more what I like to call a group of compassionate, data-driven problem solvers. So everywhere you go in the organization, you're going to see our True North, uh, our True North goals. You're going to see um, A3s uh, on all kinds of uh, operational to uh, topics. Um, you're going to see people using the daily management system, which is a, another way of um, basically engaging line staff um, and deferring to expertise, um, as well as sharing um, information from leadership. So you see that consistently throughout the organization today, whereas you wouldn't have seen that a few years back. Can you measure any impact of that, or are there anecdotal stories about people who who are either for or or struggling with the change? Well, sure. Um, there are there are really concrete ways that we've seen changes over time. I would say, in the emergency department, um, the data there are absolutely clear. We've used the daily management system. We've used. Uh, uh, this principle-based leadership. Um, we have done this and we've shown in improvement over time with um, things like our ambulance diversion rate, our door-to-provider time, our left-without-being-seen rate. Um, th there, we really see uh, very specific examples of how we've been able to make changes over time. Um, we have a, a project that started out um, by a couple of physicians in our ED called our social medicine uh, group. They have been successful in reducing short-term admissions to the hospital and connecting patients better with social services. So we have numerous examples of this uh, throughout the organization. Is it harder for some areas than others? Of course it is. And so, you know, my view again is this is about practice. It's about the, the drive to improvement. Um, we never get perfect, we're just perfecting with time. And the more this becomes standard for more people in the organization, then I think the easier it gets for everybody. How about on the, I hate to even use this word, the softer side of things in terms of, you know, if joy in practice is, your, is one of your goals, are you able to, to measure any of that how, the how people feel about it or whether they're finding joy in their work? What does that look like? Yeah, so um, 
We just did uh, a staff engagement survey um, for the first time since I've been here. And what it shows, uh, not surprisingly, because we haven't really been measuring this and we don't have a good baseline, is that it shows we have opportunities to improve people's joy in their work. And what I'm so excited about with this staff engagement survey is that we finally have data that will allow us to really focus on the areas that need the most attention, um, the issues that require, um, require more attention. So I'm really looking forward to that. The other thing that we haven't really talked about is the way that we engage patients in, in all of this work. And I think more than anything, um, our connection as, uh, as a team with our patients brings us quite a bit of joy. And I've seen this happen in so many different ways. So for example, we just did uh, a week-long improvement event that was focused on changing one of our workflows uh, in the organization related to observation status in the hospital. And what this involved was um, looking at different um, conversations that we have with patients about their status in the hospital and constructing those in a standard way and then helping us uh, have the conversations in a way that helps staff feel more comfortable and helps patients understand better. And I was, I was at this improvement event, and I got to see one of our staff, one of our nurses, having this new conversation with one of our patient advisors. And he was so amazing with her because she was clearly struggling with this new conversation. It's a, it's a kind of a technical conversation to have, and we were trying to figure out how to have it best. And he was really being so kind with her. Um, but also uh, helping her understand that he wasn't really getting what she was talking about. And so together, they were really able to come up with a better way to have that conversation. And I could see that <laughs> even though it was hard, um, it was they were having a good time with it. And um, it really brought joy to both of them. Um, so I think having patience involved in what we do um, and making that connection is is very helpful with this with this topic overall absolutely and I love that story and I'm always whenever I talk to people or, or uh, participate when patients are um, helping with the work of improvement I think people are often pleasantly surprised by how compassionate patients are for the work that doctors and nurses and other team members are doing that they that they do approach, the, even when they're frustrated by the status quo, they approach this with, with kindness and caring and an understanding that nurses and team members have a lot on their plate and are doing their best. Um, so I love hearing that. And I know when you and I have spoken in the past, you have a, a patient advisor that you have a particular relationship with that's somewhat unusual for a hospital leader. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with Patrick McKenna? Sure. Uh, Patrick is one of our uh, patient advisors. He, he serves on a group for the hospital. Um, and there are actually a number of folks on that group um, that I, you know, see and talk with um, in the hospital. And uh, he's just an amazing example of such a dedicated patient. He's, um, he gets services at one of the outlying clinics, um, but also specialty care here at the hospital. And um, he he, had, he devotes a huge amount of his time 
to being here with us at the hospital. And the, our services don't always work well for him. They don't always work well for all of our patients. But in spite of that, he takes hours of his week to be here with us, to participate in these kinds of events, to um, brainstorm with us about uh, different operational projects we're working on. I'm just blown away uh, by how our patients, who quite honestly are not always perfectly served here, still are so dedicated to making sure that they help others um, with the best experience possible. And, and just as you mentioned, they are so kind and patient with us. Um, and because we, we work with these folks uh, over time and on lots of different projects, we've, we've learned how to communicate with one another so that they feel safe to give us difficult news and we listen humbly to their advice and then we engage them in helping us uh, formulate solutions to the problems that they raise. It's really an incredible partnership and Patrick is is very, very involved in that group. That partnership, again, is a little bit unusual. When I've talked to people who are in the senior most positions at health systems, they're often aware that there might be some sort of patient family advisory council, uh, but they're not often having direct interactions with those advisors, more getting that advice filtered through other projects. Why is it important for you as the leader to, to be engaging directly with them? Well, our patients are why we're here. Um, it's really important for me to be directly engaged with patients as much as possible, and not just in my clinic, because um, that, that is also a very important practice for me, um, but in other places in the organization. It's, it's hard to do that because, um, you know, there's just a lot of demands on my time, but this is something that I really try to prioritize because I think it connects me to the lifeblood of our organization. And how do you, how would you say that interaction with patients, both clinically and in this advisory capacity, how does that affect your leadership? Well, it helps me understand what's really going on. Um, it's, I think it's very easy for people in high-level leaderships in organizations to rely only on what they hear in meeting rooms uh, and to have information filtered through others. Um, and I certainly do that. I, you know, no one can run an organization of this size without doing that. But it also is really important to get out and talk to people, to patients, to uh, line-level staff. Uh, to see what's really going on. There's no substitute for seeing and hearing things oneself um, to be in touch with and, and understand what's happening. As you look ahead to the future over the next three to five years, uh, what's your vision for how ZS ZSFG and healthcare in general will transform? Well, we have um, a series of uh, of goals and metrics that um, encapsulate what that vision is. And fundamentally, it gets down to questions like, would our patients recommend us as the place to get service to their friends and family? Would our staff recommend ZSFG as a place to work with friends and family? Are we providing equitable care 
um, for all of our patients. So these are the things that we're really focused on. And what's been exciting about, about the past three years is that we've really been setting up the foundation for doing that well. And when I say that, I mean literally the foundation because our three strategic imperatives right now are, uh, one is what we call the ZSFG way, which is really about how we lead. So it's setting up the fundamental principles and practices of leaders. Um, and then what that relates to obviously is staff joy and work. Um, and really being a wonderful place to come to work to every day. The second thing is building our future. Um, we moved into our new acute care tower in uh, 2016, three weeks after I arrived, and we are currently in the process of renovating our 1970s era building uh, to be an ambulatory center of excellence. So that's another piece of our foundation. And then the third, last but not least, is our enterprise-wide electronic health record. Because right now, um, even though the Department of Public Health provides lots and lots of services for folks, we cannot, um, they're not connected together um, with information technology that allows us to serve all of our patients with um, the right information um, every day. So with the electronic health record, with the, uh, the new buildings and with a uh, strategic leadership framework, um, I think we're gonna set all that up so that it's gonna be a lot easier for us to achieve True North. Talk to me a little more about the EHR transition because I know those are uh, huge undertakings for health systems and often um, disruptive in both good and bad ways for team members and for patients and families. What kinds of things are, are you thinking about as the CEO, as the EHR transition is happening um, to, to help keep things on the rails? Well, this is uh, something that's on my mind every single day. We are 66 days from going live with EPIC, our electronic health record, and it is a massive organizational undertaking. And what I feel good about is that we have uh, throughout the network, um, the San Francisco Health Network and the department, a really solid governance structure so that we have an operational plan, uh, we have uh, a really good escalation pathway so when things aren't happening the way we would hope, um, we have the right leaders in the room to fix them. Um, like everything else, we've been involving patients in our processes. Um, so as we are addressing high-value workflows that need to get changed before we go live, we've been involving patients. That example I talked about uh, with the new workflow related to observation status is one of those workflows. So you're right. These are really incredibly challenging organizational uh, projects to go through. On the other hand, I think uh, we've done as best we can uh, to try to set up a process for doing it in a way that um, will guarantee that um, the way the world looks here after Epic Go Live is better than it looked before. And that's not to say that we won't be surprised by things after Go Live, but there again, I think we have a structure for governance, optimization, and addressing those things that uh, will serve us well. I know there, well, I, I certainly hope that's 
that's how it goes. Um, and I know there's, there's a lot of work that goes into that. I imagine that because you are also a practicing clinician, um, there's a there's a perhaps a leadership trust that as you are leading this, you're going to have to use it as well. That maybe people uh, feel more connected to that. Is there anything else that you're doing to um, to make you know the the frontline team members feel safe about this transition? Yes, we're focusing a lot on uh, communication. So uh, we have forums where we show people the new workflows. Uh, we have uh, developed a large team of super users who will be able to connect and are connecting with the teams um, as we prepare to go live and after go live. We have a very structured um, set of trainings, both online and in person. So uh, we're trying really hard to make sure that everybody is aware of what's happening um, and that we have structures set up so they can ask questions, they can be involved in the way things are changing, that they'll get a really robust training before we go live. Uh, so that's a key part of what we're focusing on is that communication, um, really a two-way com communication with teams about, about what's going to be coming up. If you're like most organizations, as they're heading towards an EHR go live, a lot of other technology uh, decisions and investments uh, get a little bit put on hold. If you look ahead to pass the, the go live with the EHR, what else or what do you see as the role of technology in the SFG's future? Well, there are so many things that are going to change uh, for the better with EPIC. So for example, one of the things I've really been aware of as I take my own training is that our connection with patients is going to change dramatically. Right now, we have a marginally functional patient um, platform for patients communicating with us. Um, when we go live with EPIC, it's going to be much more robust. And so, uh, that will really change the way we interact with patients here. And there'll be a lot that we're going to do over time, I think, uh, to take that platform uh, and that patient portal to improve it. Um, similarly, I think Epic will bring challenges to our staff and providers in the sense that um, the electronic health record is going to be much more accessible to people. Um, like today, um, if I want to communicate with my patients, I have to be here, I have to go through a nurse or a, a, a medical assistant or call the patient on the phone. Now it's all going to be at my fingertips. And that's going to be a blessing and a curse for all of us <laughs> because we're going to have that much more access to our patients. Our patients will have that much more access to us. And at the same time, we're going to have to figure out how to manage it. And I'm really looking forward to making that a big priority, is figuring out how to best support staff and providers in this, this cultural change that will bring much better access to our patients. Uh, but at the same time, we're going to have to figure out how to manage it. Yeah, I'm glad you're thinking about both sides because there really is um, – an opportunity. Uh, I know at my clinic, uh, I do a lot of my communication with my care team 
via the EHR, and that's extremely helpful for me, but I'm always thinking about, because of the work that I do, what it looks like on their end and, and hoping that they've got you know, time reserved and training and the right escalation and team-based care protocols in place so that the, the wrong work isn't falling to the wrong people. Right. So I think you mentioned the future and what's the future for us. Um, I think a lot of the future is really going to be about how we use the resources we have to better serve our patients. And so having our patients uh, more easily connected to us whether they're in the clinic or at home or wherever they are um, to, to the services we have here, that's going to be incredible. Having all of our services connected to one another is going to be uh, transformational for us. Um, having space in all of our buildings that really honors our patients and our staff is also going to be a big game changer for us. Um, having those places and services be more accessible uh, to patients, that's going to be a big game changer. But it's not only going to be allow, not, not only going to allow us a better connection to our patients, but it's also going to allow us to better anticipate what their needs are. Uh, but once we have all of the information about our patients um, in one place, um, we can use those data to really anticipate, um, you know, if they might be at risk for having a behavioral health crisis, or they might be at risk for losing their housing, or they might um, be at risk for having an asthma attack. Um, all of those data are going to, again, be so helpful uh, and transformational um, in the future world we're going to be a part of. I think as a lot of people look ahead to some of that future, particularly with, with so much data, and even that ability to anticipate, it can feel overwhelming. Uh, how do you make sure that um, today's caregivers and tomorrow's caregivers are, are prepared for that world that has what can feel like even more complexity to the, the their responsibilities around helping people uh, get the care they need and thrive in the community? You're so right about that. Um, I think all of this can really feel overwhelming at times. But then I think it really goes back to that idea of principle-based leadership. You know, what are we doing every day to respect each individual here, whether that be staff or patients? Um, how are we having this constancy of purpose that is, you know, constant, not overwhelming, but really putting patients and staff first? I think it all comes back to that. We just need to be mindful um, that we are managing change all the time here, but we also, um, we're a community of people and just being really respectful for that community and putting their needs and values first, I think is really important. I love that. I really appreciate the opportunity we've had to talk about all these things. They're what I think about all the time, and it's really <laughs> to be able to share that. Well, I appreciate you sharing your perspective and, and the work that you're doing to, to lead in such a thoughtful way um, in close partnership with Frontlines and with patients and families. Um, I really think it is a, a great model for how healthcare needs to be. Well, it's really an honor and a privilege for me to be in this role. This place is full of remarkable people. And uh, it's great to be able to learn from them every day.
You can find links to a New England Journal of Medicine article profiling Dr. Ehrlich's efforts to build an improvement culture, as well as other articles at vocera.com slash podcast slash Susan Ehrlich. This is Liz Bohm, Executive Strategist for Human-Centered Research at the Experience Innovation Network, part of Vocera. Thank you for caring greatly.